I realized, Tom, we have a spare one of those red union suits. You could wear this <laughs> week. I mean, well, come on, yeah. come. You I think. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you <Yeah>. go. <laughs> I don't have anything good to come back with. <laughs> oh, you don't want to see that. <laughs> it's a blessing because you know I I think of uh, what the Mr. J band has done and doing and and how a blessing it is and especially what we're doing this week is you know you see our our little ones leaving us now but they're they're a part of this church just as much as uh, us older ones as we learned the wrinkled ones and because why we're all about relationships at new life we want to develop relationships with the family we want to develop relationships with each other and we know that, that God has something in store for us. Because I believe, you know, church, if you want a strong family, you want a strong marriage, you want strong interpersonal relationships, it's got to start from where love begins. And that begins with Jesus. You know, if you have a strong relationship with God, it's going to affect everything. If you are married and your spouse loves Jesus and, and, and you both are seeking Him, it's going to make your marriage stronger. If, you, if your spouse is a non-believer and, and it doesn't know Jesus yet and you seek Jesus out and you build on that relationship with Jesus, it will enhance that relationship and change it. And young people, you might have siblings and parents you can't stand, right? But there are times, you know, you can and develop those relationships. How? If you are seeking Jesus, he's going to change you, and he will affect those relationships. If you're single, if you're seeking Christ, it will affect the relationships that you come in contact with at work and beyond. And then, it'll definitely, if you are seeking God and looking at that love relationship, it's going to affect your work. You know why? Because you'll become more of a person of integrity. You'll have more character. And people in your, in your job will see you as something different. You will stand out. And you'll have a better work ethic because you will be working as unto the Lord. So it affects everything. But the same thing happens. When you neglect your relationship with God, when you put something else in front of him, know what happens? Marriages go onto the rocks. Kids rebel against parents. Parents ignore their kids. You know, your relationships outside are now of what you can consume and what they can consume and get out of you. Your work relationships, it's just to get through it rather than enjoy and prosper. It all comes down to where does love begin? And so I want to talk to you today about restoring my love, restoring your love for Jesus. Maybe you don't even have it. I want to ask you to listen up, and, and maybe you don't know this Jesus. I want you to listen up because I'm going to talk to the church on where we need to go because we have this love for God that can, that can grow. I think about marriages so often you know i think of how marriage begins you know I, I think of bambi i like to use the word twitter pated you know when they all had those funny feelings when you're excited about that somebody and that marriage and that wedding day comes and the anticipation the hope the joy the the idea of being with that person forever it's it's overcoming but something happens something happens over the time and the distance is all of a sudden what happened to that passion, that joy, when the person and the spouse are signing a divorce paper? 
there, there's a progression there. I mean, parents, you know this, when you have a baby and they're cooing and they're beautiful. Not very long when they're the brat in the room, right? Yeah. And you're just like, what happened there? Or maybe, maybe you have a loved one whom you cherish and you truly love, and then they get diagnosed with something terrible. And you, you are there passionate about taking care of them and walking with them through that illness, through that hard time. And then soon, gradually, you don't know what happens unknowingly, it then becomes a chore, a duty. And many marriages, many relationships come to that point. And the church of Ephesus, who we're going to look at today, they came to that point. Everything, that passion they had, it moved down to the mundane and the obligation and the duty. And that's a good time when we look at the greatest commandment. And the greatest commandment is found in Matthew. And in Matthew chapter, chapter 22, it says this. It says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. You see, why? Because everything, you want a good love, you want a strong bonding love, you want something that will be eternal in your life, it stems from God and the love for God. That's where it all began. And the church so often, we as a church person or a saved person, I'll say, is you get saved and you start off strong for God. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this great thing. And then it becomes monotony. I mean, think about Vacation Bible School. We do it every year now. And I know New Life took a break from doing new Vacation Bible Schools, you know, about five years ago or four years ago. We started them up again. And the thing was, is why? You know, it just got to be a chore. It got to be this thing that we just do. Oh, okay, here it is. You know, I've been at churches where we do VBSs. We've done VBSs. And, and everybody just hands out their calendar and church children's directors they talk to other children's directors which which week are you doing yours so we don't overlap because you know we just know parents want babysitting and pretty soon the church just no nah, this is what we do and we miss out we miss out on the joy of the ministry of who we're doing it for because now we just look at it as something different Church, we got to remind ourselves what it says in 1 Corinthians and in chapter 13, verse 1. It says, If I speak with the tongues of men and, the, and of angels and do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all the faith as to remove mountains and do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. See, this is, this is a warning to us. So often we can get consumed with the things that we do that we forget why we do them. And, and we have to understand that one day, church, we're going to be standing before our Lord at the, at the Bema seat. This is where the judgment seat for Christians. And, and, and 2 Corinthians 5.10 is we're going to stand there and we're going to give an account for our lives. Not a bad account, but it's going to be for the things we did in the body, good and bad. And that word bad means wrong. 
A lot of us, we do ministry. We do the things from the wrong reasons. And we're not going to get anything from it. It profits you nothing. And we're missing out. We're going to miss out so greatly if we don't go, hey, I'm in this out of the love for God rather than what I can get, what can I can consume. James Hamilton said this, God is not pleased by dutiful obedience that does not flow from genuine love. See, many of us, we're really good at dotting the I's and crossing the T's. We're really good at being obedient. Oh, I'll follow the rules. But we're following the rules for the wrong reasons. We're, we're missing out on the love, that why we do it. And that's what happened to the church at Ephesus. They were, they were missing out. They thought, hey, you know what? Look at us. We're doing good. We're a good church. We're good people. I'm a good Christian. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I don't do those things that the world does. I don't do those things out there. And they're missing out. And they're thinking, hey, you know what? I could put a smiley face on and everything's going to be fine. But understand this, church, and you can write this down. My true affections are known to Jesus. They're known to him. You can't fool Jesus. I mean, man, you can fool a lot of people. I'm a pastor, and you know what? It, it, it's an art form to see how many people try and fool me and do fool me. You know, they come into the church, and they, they man, they got that polished halo on. They're looking good. They're ready to do ministry, and you, know, you kind of inch to that, and all of a sudden, uh-oh, you know, they fooled me. You know, does that make me a fool? Sure. But, you know, that's the reality. We can fool people all the time. You know, we can do this, and you can put on that face, and you can fool people. But reality is you can't fool Jesus. I mean, think about it. You know what? I've tried to fool my wife. Tried. I'm not very good at it. She knows. God knows. Remember Abraham Lincoln? Well, he said something very profound, and I'll say it to you. You can fool all the people all the time. Or, excuse me, some of the people all the time. And all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. So yeah, you can pull the wool over somebody's eyes and pretend you're a good Christian. But when you go home, people will see it. You know, you can pretend, hey, I know. You can, that's called lying, by the way, fooling somebody. But Jesus, he knows your heart. He knows what you're all about. He knows who you are. Let, let me share with you. We're going to go to Revelations 2, our key passage today. And, and I want you to look here at what Jesus knows, okay? Let's look at verse 1. And it, or to, yeah, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Eph in Ephesus, write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lamps and says this. Now, I want to stop there. Now, what does this mean? Okay, the angel of the church. What is that? Well, that's the prevailing the spirit within the church what the church is like you know who that church is identified as how it represents themselves so you know you're a carefree church you're like lackadaisical okay you're a slacking church you're a passionate church the angel that that is what it's representing and you could see in verse 20 of chapter one which we talked about last week the mystery the understanding of what the seven stars are the seven stars are the prevailing spirits of each church, okay, that, we're, that, that Jesus is addressing. And the lampstands are the churches. 
And remember, the lampstand is the church is a church because it's supposed to give light to the world. And so we have here, we have this picture. Hey, this is Jesus. And what does he say? He says, I walk amongst the lampstands. Now, take a step back, church. That means Jesus is walking amongst the lampstands. He's walking in new life right now. He knows our heart. He is with us today. I mean, this kind of excites me. It should excite you. Think about this. If you could see Jesus in our, in our midst right now, woo! I bet you we'd change real quick. I mean, that's a, that's a crazy thought. I don't see him now. I will see him soon. And so will all of you, good or bad. But Jesus, he walks amongst us, and he knows our heart. He knows who we have, and he, know, he knows who we are, and he's got this prevailing understanding exactly why we're doing what we do. He can read us like a book. And that church of Ephesus, man, that was a good church. Of course, it was a good church on paper and in show. You ever see those churches that look really good? Man, that must be the church, right? I mean, think of Ephesus. This is a good church. I mean, it was the church you wanted to be a part of because you know what? It had some killer pastors, some really good guys that, that led this church. I mean, think about it. All right, what if the Apostle Paul led new life? Man, we would be it, right? We go, yeah, I sit under the Apostle Paul. That was Ephesus. Ephesus had Paul as a pastor. Now, that's not a bad thing. Apostle Paul, whoa, he wrote half the Bible or New Testament. That's amazing. And he goes to my church. Yes, I learned from him. Eat that CCV, right, you know? <laughs> but it doesn't get any better than that. Yes, it does. You know, Paul, he kind of had to move on. So who, who became the next pastor? Timothy. Not a bad track record. Yeah, go new life, you know. That's what we would say. And these people, but it doesn't get better than that. Yes, it does, because who else was the pastor at Ephesus? John, the one who wrote Revelation that we're speaking from. He was a pastor there. This church had the doctrine, they had the understanding, they had the pedigree and the history and the foundation to do ministry, and they knew the word. This was a good church, so we think. And, and Jesus, he sees this church for who they are, and he knows this church. And so he reveals something to this church. First of all, Jesus, he does this. He, how does he work? Just like Paul works, too, you know. Paul learned it from him. Is Jesus gives some accolades and then does the right cross. And here, Jesus is going to do some accolades to this church. So we see it here in verse 2. And it says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you are from, uh, and you are from, uh, you found them to be false. So here we see, you know, Jesus saying, here, you've done some great things. You know the word. You knew the teachers, and you know the Bible so well that you can identify bad teaching. He's like, right on. I like that in you. You know truth. Isn't that, isn't that like a lot of us today in the, in the Word of God? We, we know truth. That's good. And we can identify it. We watch TV and go, that's bad. That's bad, right? 
And then we can take it a step further and we can look at this church of, of who they truly were. Let, let me look at verse 2 and 3 with you. I'm going to read it to you. It says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. So let me share with you what this, this means about this church. They were, church, they were a serving church. They had deeds. My guess is they had a food pantry. They probably even, you know, uh, fed kids at after, after schools, you know, programs. They probably had that. They probably had, you know, they, they had a, a homeless ministry. They were hel helping the homeless. They definitely educated people. I think they did a, you know, back-to-school drive or something like that to get new backpacks for kids. You know, they did ministry. They had deeds. But it goes even further than that. They were a sacrificing church. You see, that, that word, that word toil, that's kapos. And that means, it means a, a, a enduring. It means a sacrificing, an intense labor is what it means. And so here's this church that was like, hey, we're in it. No matter what it takes, we're showing up early, we're leaving late, and we're going to get this place, and we're going to do good. They would sacrifice themselves. They would go beyond. We also know that they were a determined church. See, that word perseverance means determination. They were going to see it to the end. They were, they were going to see through it. They didn't care. They're, they're like, hey, we're in it to win it. You know, hey, because we are Ephesus. We are the church. And they were a patient church. Because they, they endured. They were steadfast. So, so often, you know, we know when hard times come that, you know, it's easy to jump ship at a church. And New Life, if you're not familiar, New Life went through a really hard time in recent years. And a number of people did that. But there were a number that I've been meeting with that have stayed the course. And they knew, hey, God was in this. And they were patient with it. And they were going, I'm in this. Because the going got tough, but I ain't going. That's what, that's what it was about. But we also know something more. They were a suffering church. It's because they had to deal with the baggage of some bad doctrine that came in. Those people that came in like sheep, but they were really wolves. They came in, they looked good. They acted good, might have been for a few years. And they, it, it was like, hey, I can look up to this person or whatever. But the reality, many didn't see, it affected the church. And soon, it was made known to them. And we see here, I'll read verse 6 to you. And it says, yet this I do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You see, the Nicolaitans, it, it's nowhere in reference beyond revelation of who they were, but we know that this word, this means the conqueror of people. And so we decipher that these are legalists. These are people that came into the church and started preaching a two-tiered gospel. These are people that got into the church, started spreading bad doctrine, and they recognized it. They recognized that there was a flaw in these people's character, because remember, they claimed to be apostles or claimed to be pastors. And, and then they suffered because they had to get rid of somebody that they didn't see coming. And church, we have to guard ourselves. And, and they suffered through it, through those bad people. 
They were robbing of them of their, their liberty in Christ and saying, you must do, you must act. And that's not how it works. So often we forget in church there, there isn't the, the holy people and then everybody else. There, you know, a pastor is no better than the people in the church. We're all equals. We just have different roles. And we've talked about that many times. Each of us have a role and a part to play in the body of Christ, but no one is holier than somebody else. We are all equal in that. We're all at different phases in our walk. But we know that God knows our hearts. We can't lie to Him. So here we can do all the stuff. You can look good. You can look good on paper. You can put out there your rewards and show everybody how wonderful the church is. But God knows you. And you can't fool him. And so church, we have to know how to do ministry, how to be the best we can be. And this is where it goes. My love must begin and flow from Jesus. See, he's got to be the starting point. He's got to be the starting point for all that we do. It can't just, you know, happen, you know, because I, I want it, because I want to do ministry. I want my ministry. See, I see that a lot in churches. People come up to me all the time. Hey, we need to do this ministry. We need to be on this ministry. And they want it. I, I, can't, I can't speak into the reasons why, but so often we get caught up into the, the love for the ministry rather than the love for God. I, I'll share a story. My a buddy of mine who was a worship pastor, I was a youth guy, and, and I hired him as my youth intern to lead worship. We were at a, a large church with a large youth group, and talented beyond I've ever seen. And, and he, he could lead. It was amazing. And we got very close, and, and, you know, so much so Laura and I had him play at our wedding and sing, and uh, we watched it the other day. We got out the VHS tape, you know. Actually, we got it converted now. And... And we got to watch our wedding and, and see him sing. And oh, I, and then, and then I, I was a part of his life. And as he met his, his wife, and I did the marriage, I did the marriage ceremony for them. And then, and then I, I was there for the birth of his two daughters. And, and he's just a wonderful guy. And he was so talented. And then what happened? I lost touch for a little while, but he got a job at a megachurch of 10,000 people as their worship guy. That's how good he is. And it was phenomenal. But as I learned and I was talking to him, and he goes, I had to step back, and I go, what happened? He goes, I'm getting a divorce. I go, what, what's going on? He goes, it's my fault. I, I got into being a rock star. I got into the love of the ministry. And that destroyed my marriage. You see, the love needs to stem from Christ because if it doesn't, it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect your ministry. It's going to affect your marriage and affect your kids as it did his. And, and we see, you know, we can get so caught up in, in the ministry, and if it's not flowing from Jesus, we are at fault. In verse 4, it says, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. See, a lot of times, we leave the first love, which is Jesus, for a good cause. 
We leave Jesus for something else. We leave Jesus for something that we think is going to promote us and make us feel good about ourselves. See, it's a heart issue. The, the church of Ephesus, they had all the works, they had all the sacrifice, they had all the perseverance, but the wrong motive. Their motive wasn't love for Christ. Understand this. We have to understand that ministry is to be done out of love for Jesus. So is everything else. We do what we do for Jesus. Oh, yeah, we do for the little ones. Yes, most definitely. But how we do it is for and from Jesus. So often, you know, we can get moody. And we're all moody at times. I'm moody. But, you know, in ministry and in our lives, moodiness has no place. Because you can change your mood. I mean, this last week, man, I was frustrated with somebody. I was mad. I came in, Claudia, the executive pastor, I go, there we go, we're going to, I'm going to play their game. I'm going to do it. And, and he's like, okay, you know, and we'll just do it. And he's like, I'm the boss, you know. And he, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah, I'm not judging, whatever. Called him up later that day. All right, I was out of the flesh, just forget everything I said. You know, but we, we, we get into this moodiness going, what about me? See, we didn't sign up for that. It's not about you. Where is it when you ask Jesus to save you from hell so you wouldn't go to hell for all eternity, going, okay, God, I'm going to invite you in and have you save me, but this is the th these are the things that I deserve and I get, right? No, we went, I just don't want to go there, and I want you, Jesus, to run my life. And somewhere we get off track because we don't get ours. Get ours. We look at it as a duty. I think of the church in Thessalonica. Paul writes to this church, and he, and he prays them for their ministry and their witness. I want to read to you out of the first chapter in verse 3. It says, Constantly bearing in mind your work of the faith and labor of love and the steadfast of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. So what do we have? They have their faith, their hope, and their love in Jesus. They are going forward in that. It's a, it's a consistent model to the world. And that is what we are to understand and be about like that church. See, what we do for the Lord is important and so is why we do it. We do it for Jesus. You love your wife. You love your husband. You love your parents. You love your kids. You love your friends. You love, you name it, for Jesus. Because they're going to let you down. They're always going to let you down. And I tell you, Jesus doesn't. We can trust him in that. And so we have to understand this is where our love will flow from. But understand, it takes some work because my love for Jesus must be restored. And for some of us, it might be a daily activity. Some of us, it might be more than that. We have to restore our love for Jesus. And, and it's not something that, that just comes, you know, hey, whenever. See, you want, you want a strong love? You know, it takes some effort. You want some zeal? You want to get that zeal, that passion that you had? You know, it, it's not going to just happen. Yeah, I think of the analogy or the story Jesus, of Jesus when, when he went in and cleansed the temple. 
I mean, I love this story. Man, he got the best of those people. Because he loved God, and that was God's house. And what did he do? He went in there and overchanged the money tables, you know, and he, and he whipped the animals out, and he scared everybody. Everybody's like, oh, what's going on? And there was, a, there was a, you know, big ruckus, and people don't know what's happening. And I think of what the disciples, after they saw that, they're like, what in the world is this guy up to? And, and we see it here very plainly in John 2, verse 17. And the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now, I love that, that zeal, that passion for God's house. Now, what did Jesus do? It wasn't a knee-jerk thing. First of all, he had zeal already. Second of all, what did he do? He went into the temple. Walked out there. Looked around. All right. And he left. He didn't just start throwing stuff around. See, so many of us are just knee-jerk. Jesus is, he is precise. What did he do? He left. He got himself and fashioned a whip. That's what the Word of God says. He made himself a whip. I, I, have you ever tried to, to, to fashion leather that quickly? It took time. And I bet you he was calculated because he saw where the money changers were. And then he went to town. He went to town whipping and throwing things out. He'd probably go, I'm going to do the money changers first because that'll set everything in chaos because everybody loves money and it's going to be all over the floor and everybody's going to be scrambling. Then I'm going to go to the animal. And the animals are going to run around like everything and scare everybody after, and it's going to be carnage. It's going to be great. I'll show these people. What does that say? Understand, church, passion for God is deliberate. It's deliberate. See, you don't get passion by going, okay, God, show up. You know, you don't get passion for your marriage going, love me. You don't get passion for your parents going, oh, I, I care for you. No. What do you do? you got to be deliberate on what you do. You want passion for God. You want restoration in your marriage. It's gonna, you got to woo your wife. you got to comb your hair, men. you got to do something. You know, ladies, you want something, make it, your man want you. The thing is, is it takes effort. And so many of us in, in Christianity today, we want the microwave Jesus. Make me new. Boop. Don't we? It's sad. We do. But it's not going to happen that way. It takes time. And slowly, we are going to see change in our lives. And you will see it, and you'll be like, what in the world just happened? And that's where we have to understand that we are called to be deliberate. Now, how do you be deliberate? I, I write these four things down. The first one is this. I restore my love by remembering. Oh, remember when that first time you fell in love with your, your, your wife, men, ladies, your man? Oh, man, he was, he was awesome. He was yoked, you know? Whatever it was, you know, think of that time. Think of that time when you, you, we started in ministry. I think there are many points in my life, my journey, that I can remember when I was passionate for God, when, I, when I, God became real to me in my walk. I think of when I was a youth pastor. 
Oh, I remember what I loved. I loved about ministry was, was teaching the kids and, and watching their eyes light up and, and giving them the, the understanding of the Word of God, that God loves them, and giving them passion, raising the bar, not expecting them to leave the same people they came into going, hey, this isn't the world. We're different. We're going to act different. And I just wanted to see it, and you'd see lives change. I love it when lights got on. You remember those things. Look, look what Jesus says. He says, therefore, Remember from where you have fallen. See, if you're lacking love, remember where you used to have it. Man, that, that's, a, that's an assignment I think all of us should do. Think about then. This week, when were you passionate about God? Remember that. And that, what made me passionate about God? What made me was like that. And then what we have to understand is that, hey, you know what? I was. I was. And now you're not. So what do you need to do? Is I restore my love by repenting. Now, repenting is what? It's a change of mind, a change of direction necessarily. Is, is when you got saved, what did you do? You turned from you, sin, and your life, and you turned to Jesus. That's repenting. It's a change of mind. So you say, all right, I don't want this life. I want Jesus. And so you decide, you say, okay, I am going to repent. I have put something before God. Maybe it's my own self. Maybe it's what I deserve. I put that before God. You repent of that. Look how Jesus goes on to say here. He says, and repent of the deeds you did and, and, and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and will res remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. See, we like the idea of remembering, but where the church lacks is turning. It's turning. that We don't like the idea of repentance. See, because a lot of times in church work or in our Christian lives, we think we're owed something. Why? Why does this person always get what I want? See, we, we don't deserve anything. I don't know God's plan. I don't know why, you know, some people get more than other Christians, and even when they're evil. Don't you, you see that? That's an evil Christian. Why do they prosper? I don't know. But I know I don't deserve it. Yeah, I can work for God all I want, but you know what? I don't deserve anything. As I shared earlier, I didn't sign up but for Jesus. See, that's the thing. And so whatever that is, I need to repent of it. Turn from it, going, God, I put my expectations ahead of you. I think that's the biggest one for me. Say, God... I've, I've put this, what I want, I think I deserve, ahead of you. And, and we have to get beyond that. So we repent of it. And then what do we do? How do we get that? I restore my love by repeating. So you remember, you repeat, restore, remember, repent, and repeat. I mean, think about when you first started out with Jesus. Were you a person that was passionate about his word, like you were eating it up? Well, go back there. Because maybe, you know, I don't lead, really lead to read the Bible anymore. It's not really, eh, I've read it. Get back in it. 
See, maybe you were passionate and, uh, about prayer, and you were a prayer warrior before, and now you just kind of like, and hey, God bless me, and you, you just throw it up there like a popcorn prayer. You're not passionate about it. Repeat what you did. Maybe you're this person, and you were a living by faith guy, and you gave 15% of your income to God, and now you give like two because you've lost faith. You're just like, oh, whatever. I'm going to end it for me. I mean, think about that, you know. you got, you got, to, you got to go back to it. As it says very plainly here, it says, and repent of the deeds, or excuse me, and repent and do the deeds you did at first. I want to stop there. Do the deeds you did at first. Now, I can't go back and be a youth pastor. I could, but I'd probably die doing it, right? I love being a youth pastor. It was fun. And, but you know what I can do that I used to do as a youth pastor? I can preach. I can teach. That's God's gift to me. And why? I want to see people go, big. their lights turn on. They get passionate for God. They desire more. They want to go deeper into the Word. I tick them off, step on their toes so it challenges them. I don't care however God wants to use it. I mean, I can do that. I think I, think I used to lead worship. Yeah, I did when I was a youth pastor. I can't lead worship now because I still want the church to come. And, but I can still sing. I can still pull out my guitar, and I need to get better at this. I need to get back into me doing personal worship just as much as I sing here. See, church, this is things that we can do. You return back to what you did. See, that's what Jesus said very plainly. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. That's Jesus' words. That's what Jesus said. Perfect sense. See, but he also goes and gives a caveat here. Look at the rest of the verse. Or else. No one wants to hear that. I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. What does that mean? You're not going to be an effective Christian. You're not going to live an effective life. You're not going to be an effective church. It's not going to be a church on a hill. You're going to be there. See, Jesus is serious about this. The church of Ephesus jumped through all the hoops. They looked good. They had the right pedigree. They had the right teachers. But the problem was they left their first love. We got to return to it. Laura and I served at a church together and... Uh, the church had 60, 70 years of great ministry, but they called us to help the church. What happened? What happened to a vibrant church of eight acres? What happened to a, an amazing place and, and it was multiple buildings and huge? What happened? Now it's just a remnant of people because they didn't turn and they stopped being effective church we need to understand that you know what god wants us to return to him and there, there's promise you can have that love that passion or else it's a warning but what's the crux of it all that love yes we need to remember yes we need to repent yes we need to you know what redo or whatever that last one is repeat but the last one is this i restore my love by returning to the gospel 
we get back to what it all matters the gospel message the crux of the matter is jesus and what he's done for you you sit back and you go okay you know what has god done for me he rescued me you know it's hard when there's somebody's li living a life of you know a clean living and then it's easier for somebody it seems to recognize what they've been rescued from if they come out of a a, a, a wayward past but the problem is, is each of us must remember why we got saved, how we got saved, and what we were saved from. And it could be drugs, it could be selfish ambition, and a life that was empty, and it was just you. And you had no hope, you had nothing to look forward to, and you know the end of your demise was hell, and you had nothing to gain. And all it was was fear. Now the Christian, what they do, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you don't have fear of death because you know Jesus lives inside of you. He changed you and he redeemed your soul. That is the gospel. That's all we got. So if we lose our cars, we lose our homes, we lose our bank accounts, we lose our families, you name it, you are redeemed. Look with me. At verse 7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen up. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To he that overcomes. How many people have Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Show your hands if you Jesus is your Savior. You have overcome. You have overcome, and you have overcome the world. You have overcome death. You have the grace of God in you, and you will eat of the tree of life for eternity in God's paradise. Amen? That is where you're headed. And you are saved. And I tell you, you need to remember this. You need to preach yourself the gospel every day so you don't get sidetracked on the me focus. It's about Jesus. Church, understand, the church should rethink on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what it's all about. Not a successful church. It's about Jesus. And when we focus on him and we focus on the gospel and the love of Jesus, our hearts will be turned to him and then we will be effective. If we are not, we're going to be a church of show, a church of ministry. Oh, it looks good on paper. But I tell you, someday you will wish you served him more out of love. I guarantee it. That's why we need to begin now. We got to serve him more out of love now. I shared with you earlier this morning, and I want to share it with you again, 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recommenced for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We will stand before God, before Jesus, and he's going to give us an account for our lives. Now, this isn't scary, church. Understand this. There's some bad theology. This is the judgment seat of Christ. This is us going to our Lord and Savior who loves us. And we have nothing to fear because our, our sin has been paid for on the cross. 
We will stand before him and there will be joy and expectation that you are face to face a meeting with Jesus and he's going to talk about your life. And you're going to sit there and go, oh, and he goes, you know, you did some great things, but look at the things you did for the wrong reason. You missed out there. And now you're not going to have this sadness. You're just going to go, oh, I wish I would have given you more. I want to give you more. That's the Christian attitude. That is why we want to love Jesus. We want to give him more. We can't repay him, but he's worth everything. And that is why we do it. Because one day we get to give, hey, I did serve at VBS out of love. I did serve out, out in coffee out of love. I did serve here out of love for you, God. That is where we need to give. I tell you, that is where, that is where everything begins. It's out of the love of Jesus, and that is when we're effective. I'm going to ask us to pray. And as Christians, you know, so a lot of us, we need to turn from that selfish pursuits of what I can give, of what I deserve. But before that, there, there are people here that don't even know who Jesus is. They don't realize that he is the God of creation, the God of universe, the God of love, and also the God of judgment. And right now, he extends grace to all that will have it. And he wants you to know him personally. So if you don't know Jesus and you want to experience true life, eternal life, eternal hope in him, you just say, Jesus, I want that. You recognize that, hey, your life doesn't offer what you thought it would. You realize you're not happy. You're bitter. You have disdain for people. And you say, Jesus, make me new. Give me hope. Give me love. Give me expectation in you. Most of all, save me from my sin of myself. Because all of us are sinners. But Jesus makes those who want him pure. So ask him, say, Jesus, come into my life. Make me the person you want. Save me from my sin. I need you, God, and I turn to you now. And you ask him to do that. And maybe there's a Christian. And that's you. And you're sitting there going, I put myself ahead of Jesus because of what I think I deserve, what I want. And, and it's even a good thing of ministry. Say, Jesus, I, I want to turn back to you. I want to repent of that. So God, please forgive me for putting something in front of you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your salvation. God, you know our heart. You know, as you walk amongst us, you know our spirit. So speak to us each with your Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. Reveal it to us. God, I pray for this church this week, over these kids and families that come in to interact with you and each other. I pray that your hand of mercy and grace would be over this place that you would touch lives and change it and change us as we go. Let this week be a time of remembering and repeating and repenting. Oh God, 
Lord, I pray for this body. May you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.